0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Just Cause, the podcast where two cousins talk about things they love.
1: Just cause.
0: This is part two of Barbenheimer, the return of Oppenheimer.
1: And I'm Barbie, and he's Ken, and we are going to talk about Oppenheimer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Oppenheimer is such an incredible movie in that it is the flip side of the existential coin, where Barbie is absurdism and it's surreal, whereas Oppenheimer is going out of its way to be as real as possible.
1: But also equally as existentialist and depressing. Yes. <laughs> um, I have to say, I said it in the last part, but I watched Barbie and then Oppenheimer. And boy, did that make me feel Oppenheimer a lot more. <laughs> It was not. I saw them on the same day, back to back. We accidentally scheduled the movies wrong, so we had to rush um to the Oppenheimer Theater from the Barbie Theater. <laughs> it was a time. Luckily, we were able to go to the bathroom during previews, but <laughs> it was a day. And let me tell you, going from that high of Barbie to just the... Uh, depressing reality that is Oppenheimer was it was a time it was an emotion it was a lot
0: (laughs) see I probably would have watched these movies in the same day and I'm very lucky that I didn't because I got to really sit and stew with each but the reason why is because I chose to drive 200 miles across my state and watch Oppenheimer in IMAX which was the first IMAX movie that I have seen in 10 years and the second imax movie that i've seen ever and let me tell you wow 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 wowie wow wow
1: wow yeah what was the first one you saw avatar
0: um (laughs) so it was around the time that i was like seven or eight and i was visiting a relative and that relative brought me to see the ant bully in imax
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that's way better than avatar okay (laughs) Well, now your list of IMAX movies is The Ant Bully and Oppenheimer.
0: <laughs> Two of pretty much the same movie, right?
1: They're exactly the same. I <laughs> I would they're sister movie.
0: <laughs> yes, but so I talking more about the IMAX experience. I was really really hyped to see this big screen, and honestly, that was a little disappointing, just because like the screen was big and it was cool. But what really blew me out of the water was the sound. And I think this movie specifically had some fantastic sound.
1: I think they're definitely going to at least be nominated for an Academy Award for sound design because it was fucking breathtaking. I
0: don't know if it was just the theater that I was in, but I could feel every explosion deep in my bowels. And I loved it.
1: (laughs) In your bowels. (laughs) My God. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's an accurate description. Um, I was about to say something very bad. I won't say it.
0: Yeah. Um, this is a family friendly podcast. This no, is a it's family
1: not. show. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, but Oppenheimer, mm, I was expecting, you know, we were talking about it and I was expecting the hyper realism, which was there, but it was also, there were so many parts of this movie that were clearly j robert oppenheimer's internal anxieties and feelings and thoughts and you can see and they're all framed in the explosion which is so amazing they're all they start out small with splitting the atom and then they get bigger and more fiery and then after the bomb goes off he's seeing the aftermath of the bomb and people's melted and burned skin and their carcasses it's so awful it's so awful but it is so beautifully done it's we're getting really ahead of ourselves
0: thinking. but every time after the bomb when they would be mm. having this a heated dialogue scene and then the lighting would just go pure white and the audio would almost cut out except for like and yeah, a- a- the only thing you'd need and, oh, it it was jaw-dropping it's incredible when
1: the bomb went off And it did that same thing. It was completely silent. Mm -hmm. And then you were waiting. You were like, I know that there's going to be a sound. I know it's coming. But it took so long that you're like, is it coming? Did the speakers blow out? And then all of a sudden, (laughs) boom! It was,
0: oh my And right before that, it's, I'm become death, destroyer of worlds. Destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Fuck. No,
1: in the, (laughs) it's amazing. In the (laughs) beginning, when he was, uh... Having sex with Florence Pugh, which (laughs) side note, I felt was totally unnecessary in this movie. Not Florence Pugh as a character. She's important for his trial. But the amount of sex that they're having, like, why is that necessary for this movie? I, it was so jarring. Yeah, you could have, started, happening. you know,
0: exposited that she was a mistress of his without them being naked every scene together. Or you
1: could have showed them just, like, being together. They didn't have to be fucking so weirdly with the Sanskrit like it was just odd anyway when when he recited that quote i obviously know that line like you know just from literature and from life but i don't remember exactly what it's from but i literally turned over to my friend in the theater and i said this barbie has become death destroyer (laughs) of worlds (laughs) and i i couldn't help myself i'd been seeing the memes everywhere
0: (laughs) barbenheimer is real ladies and gentlemen
1: it is real they have frighteningly similar themes. It is <laughs> it was not it was not as different as I was expecting. I mean it's different. They're definitely not similar movies. Right. But they have very similar themes of how the world is fucked up.
0: So I definitely want to get into the structure of this movie and you know the different acts, but before we get into all of that, I want to talk about maybe too many characters being in this movie and i commend its historical accuracy we see so many people who are in real life and oppenheimer you know he had a a wife who you know they didn't really get along that well and he had a mistress but a lot of these people and i'm mainly talking about a lot of the scientists that you see for like a minute in total of screen time they Mm -hmm. probably could have been consolidated at the very least
1: I mean, I liked the scope of the movie. I didn't think they needed to be consolidated. But the fact that all of the extras in this movie were big name actors who you're like, oh, I'm expecting them to do something. I'm expecting them to say something. And then people like Josh Peck or Rami Malik had like two fucking lines in the whole movie. I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> And I'm looking at the cast list right now. I'm like, Casey Affleck was in this movie. I had no idea. Oh, when Uh, Casey
0: Affleck (laughs) came on screen, the same thing with Gary Oldman. He plays uh, the president.
1: Yeah. I didn't realize that until this (laughs) very moment. Um, That's on me. I was was watching it and I was like, there's something familiar about this guy. (laughs) I hate him. And I thought it was just that he was familiar because he was being Truman and I hate Truman. But, and then I was like, oh, it's Gary Oldman. I was like, no, I don't hate Gary Oldman. No. It's
0: like, you doing this movie. Although that moment where Oppenheimer's like, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And then Truman just takes out a handkerchief. He's like, you want it? Oh, do you want it? That was
1: awful. And then when he left and he was like, whatever, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was like, don't let that pussy back in here. And I was like, yeah. whoa.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now I, It almost happened like once every 10 minutes where I'd see an actor on screen and I was like, holy shit, I know you.
1: Between Barbie and Oppenheimer, every single actor in Hollywood is present in these two films other than Meryl Streep, I think. Like literally anyone you could possibly think of is in these movies.
0: Everyone. And
1: that's crazy.
0: No, yeah, it's incredible. And it's not the fact that so many people are in this movie. It's so many people are here to play. And they are really, really acting. Especially Robert Downey Jr. My goodness, you felt emotion behind him.
1: I didn't even know that he was in this movie until like two weeks ago. Really? And I saw a I saw a YouTube video, and it was like, I don't remember what magazine it was for or what it, what it was for, but he was like breaking down uh, his role in Oppenheimer, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is in Oppenheimer? Since when? And I, I guess because I've, st- I've been trying to stay away from trailers recently. I just watched only the first Barbie trailer and only the first Oppenheimer trailer. So I didn't, I guess I just didn't see it and I wasn't paying attention. And I was like, what the fuck?
0: See, I knew some of the actors that were going to be in this movie, but I had no idea that like Casey Affleck or Alden Ehrenreich or uh, so many other actors who I just saw. Yeah. And I was like, "What? what the heck? I think Kenneth Branagh was the only big name that I knew was in this movie.
1: I had no idea that Rami Malik was going to be in this movie. And it totally threw me out. Like, he showed up and I was like, that's Rami Malik. And I was like, wait, what is he? He's a scientist. Okay, I'm back in.
0: <laughs> or there was, they introduced a polka dot man. And there was a scene later <laughs> on and I saw him just in the background. I was like, oh, you're going to be important. I know you, polka dot man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're a Polkadot man. I actually remember that.
0: It, it It's just incredible. And again, I commend the historical accuracy. And this movie will probably be shown in history classes because of how accurate yeah. it is. But I feel like you could have still felt the same emotion with half as many characters.
1: Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I didn't mind it other than the fact that they were all big names. Like, it, it threw me out sometimes, like I said. Mm. But... I will say before the movie came out, I was apprehensive uh, because I'm always very wary of movies that glorify historical tragedies and um, try to humanize, you know, monsters. I'm sorry, but that's that's what these people are. This was a
0: monstrous act.
1: They're they're people. Of course, they're not actual monsters, but you are right. They committed monstrous acts. And I'm always wary of movies trying to humanize and glorify glorify that because sometimes humanizing that lessens the impact. Because obviously they are acts committed by humans, but sometimes it lessens the impact. And it's like, no, these are really fucking terrible things that these people did. And they killed countless people. Mm -hmm. And I was very relieved when I saw the movie because it didn't, to me at least, it didn't feel like it was glorifying it. It felt like it was being truthful to how someone who is responsible for that kind of an act would behave and feel. Obviously, Oppenheimer... I actually, I don't know. Is he alive anymore?
0: I doubt it, but I did not research that. But I, again, kind of going off of what you were just saying, I am so, so glad that none of this was romanticized. They show the Trinity test and that's kind of romanticized. And it's filmed to show, look at how awesome this power is. And I use that in the biblical sense of like, look at how, epic this power is and i after that
1: um, not amazing (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. i i was very very worried that they were going to romanticize or at least even show the bombing of Nagasaki and hiroshima and i'm so glad that they didn't because that isn't something that should be romanticized no it's no absolutely it's horrible
1: um i know that it was due to you know historical accuracy and the you know, the content of this film, but I was a little saddened to see that there was no Japanese perspective in this film. There was nobody coming and saying, look what you did to my home. Look what you did to us as a people To a- in a war that was already basically over
0: and I think Nolan is a culprit of that in many of his films I'm specifically Mm -hmm. thinking of Dunkirk where you never see any of the enemy's faces and that's clearly a choice in that movie but I think it could have probably done good to see Mm -hmm. not the damage done but the emotional damage done
1: I think I think it's really important if you're making movies like this about war especially about historical wars where actual real people died that you that you make sure to humanize the other side because throughout this movie they're the japanese they're the other they're who we're fighting or they're the nazis obviously obviously the nazis you know yeah don't want to be personified we all agree nazis are bad they're terrible uh then and now uh, <laughs> always <laughs> no good nazis never to just completely other the rest of the world and focus this on america obviously it's telling the story of oppenheimer who is american who is um here and he often talks about his jewish identity which is great and very interesting and how he um i can't think of the word qualify no um
0: he kind of just wants humanity to strive, whatever that may mean. Yeah.
1: Well, no, it's how he um, associates his identity with what he has to do in the war and all that kind of stuff and how he feels about it. But he tries not to express his opinion until, yeah. mu- until later, until after the bomb, when they were working on the H-bomb but um i think it's i think it's a shame that you know christopher nolan centered the white man but <laughs> i mean you know i i always get hate when i when i say that people always are like well well who else is he going to center oh this is about the guy who created it he was a white man blah blah and i'm like yeah but it affected hmm. fucking everyone
0: at the very least one scene where we see some Japanese guy talking about how he yeah. ruined everything.
1: I'm looking at the cast. I don't think there are any Japanese people in the cast. There's no there's no one just talking about how this affected the place that it did. Because that is a huge part of the dropping of, of the creation of the atomic yeah. bomb. It's yeah, you're creating it for what? It's a fucking atomic bomb. You're gonna drop it on some place. Mm-hmm. It's how does to that kill people. It? And obviously they they try to make oppenheimer you know very remorseful feel like he has blood on his hands have the flashbacks to um or not flashbacks have the imagined uh hallucinations of um people burning from the the nuclear blowout and the, the ashen bodies right he has that but they're all white people they're all the people that he's talking to standing in front of they're not the people who had actually killed
0: and sure it's trying to relate it to maybe a white audience but again i feel like people are empathetic but with all that being said let's get into the structure because i truly believe this is nolan's masterpiece this is not necessarily his greatest work but everything that he has been working on has been to make this as good as it can be Because I saw it as like 75% memento, 25% prestige, just the structure itself, where it's, you have that black and white sequence, and that's kind of the future running backward, and you're explaining it as it goes, and it gives context to the in-color stuff, which is the past moving forwards.
1: Yeah. No, the structure is incredible, and it's, it's so interesting, uh it's such an interesting way of filmmaking and how he can get because he knows obviously that this is going to be again a big blockbuster hit like lots of people are going to go see this it's so fascinating how he can make it so clear while jumping around in time how uh, like an audience who's not expecting that kind of timeline shifting to follow the events and that's a credit to him obviously Christopher Nolan is an excellent filmmaker
0: and yeah Nolan always has to play with time in every one of his movies even always. if it isn't a sci-fi
1: exactly no and it's uh honestly if this movie if this exact same movie was made what 50 years ago or not 50 years ago what year is it 70 years ago <laughs> it would have been uh it would have been a sci-fi this yeah. this was this was the leap forward in scientific discovery with the splitting of the atom and the creation of these weapons of mass destruction. They are uh they were sci-fi. They were only thought of in the minds of crazy scientists who poison the apples of their teachers. Like what the fuck, man. Is that real? <laughs> I have no fucking clue. I, I should was have like, looked that up. Why are they framing him like this? Why are they framing him like a sociopath? I what kinda love that. I liked it. Yeah, no, the very it was so first
0: introduction to the character is yeah, this guy's capable of murder. Not quite, yeah. but almost.
1: He'll feel bad about it. Yeah, but he's <laughs> capable of doing it. He was he was completely in his own right mind when he did that. Yep. Um, and the cold calculation—it was all there. Um, but no, for me it was just it, that was the big uh shift from from literally walking out of Barbie, walking right into see. Killian Murphy poisoning the apple of his professor and I'm like what the fuck
0: I could this just imagine Ruth from Barbie telling you that everything's going to be okay and then you walk 20 feet and Killian Murphy is just like I'll kill everyone I'll do it Yeah I
1: know it's basically it's basically like it's like being human is hard but it's great and then I'm going to my gynecologist and then <laughs> here's a death apple die <laughs>
0: I'm going to set fire to the atmosphere
1: because you slightly um slighted me in front of another student. How dare you? <laughs> you didn't let me go see the academic lecture.
0: I just connected the dots, but that's exactly what Strauss or Robert Downey Jr. character is doing the entire movie. Something super slight and Oh petty. yeah.
1: I'm sorry. Okay, this is like you don't find this out to the very end of the movie, but like Or not the end, but he's talking about it the whole time. But he's like, he's like, he turned Einstein against me. And the entire time I'm sitting there and I'm like, what makes you think? What makes you so fucking pretentious to think that the two greatest minds of an entire generation in the world have nothing better to discuss than you? No one gives a fuck about you. I don't even know your fucking name. Strauss, was it? Robert Downey Jr.? Okay, this is Einstein talking to Oppenheimer. No one is even mentioning your goddamn name.
0: There are a lot of big scientists that I just know from history, and there are a lot of small scientists that I know from history. I've never heard of Louis Strauss in my goddamn life, and I never will after this movie because he's- the movie goes out of its way to say he's just a shoe salesman.
1: He's literally just, um, he's just a petty bitch and he's a failed politician. He didn't even get confirmed into mm-hmm. the, what was it? The Supreme Court or the cabinet, the president's cabinet, whatever, yeah,
0: whatever it was, he was just one of those men trying to vie for as much power as he could. And he tried to look, you know, philanthropic and he tried to look like a good guy but at the end of the day, he was just a weasel. And I maybe he wasn't like that in real life, but I loved that twist of how, like, you think that maybe it's science and the fear of the unknown, or maybe it's that um, whatever attorney, the prosecutor, Roger Robb, maybe he's the villain, but no. In the third act, it's revealed Strauss is the villain. He's the one pulling all the strings. And I loved that reveal.
1: Yeah, Robert Downey Jr was um he was really excellent in the role. Um and but Strauss was just the whole time I was sitting there and I was thinking like, oh, maybe this guy is just like actually evil. Like he fucking hate he wants to not not evil, but he is of the mentality that we need to keep making the bombs, uh, keep making more bombs, bigger bombs so that uh so that the rest of the world because the rest of the world is going to make the bombs basically you know it's the cold war mentality and the fact that all of the trial stuff takes place during the mccarthy era and the red scare like it's it makes perfect sense but you're thinking of this logic and you're seeing oppenheimer's response to it and you're just like that's evil like you can't mm-hmm. justify that you can't justify keep making these weapons. But our government apparently did because we have a bunch of
0: And yeah, not only did they justify it, they justified making more and more and bigger ones. Just as a deterrent, even though it clearly doesn't work. And anyway. So I genuinely loved how in this movie, and I've talked about it a little, but you didn't really know who the antagonist was. Like, you could kind of guess that there was some sinister vibes coming off of Robert Downey Jr. Especially, they edit it in a way when you first see that boardroom where uh, Oppenheimer, like, humiliates uh, Strauss. And Robert Downey Jr. gives this wry smile. And then the second time they cut back to it, Robert Downey Jr. is just furious. Like, you could see the rage.
1: Yeah, it's because... Yeah, cause he's like, cause that time, the first time mm-hmm. he was telling the story, and he was like, "Oh, it's fine," but the second, like, it doesn't actually matter. But then the second time it was Oppenheimer telling the story, and he was like, he was fucking pissed,", pissed. and it was like, I mean, yeah, you humiliated him, but like, that that should not be
0: no your his response to destroy not just no. your your
1: entire career, but also discredit you and ruin your chances of trying to make the world better and stopping our government from creating these monstrosities. And I
0: should have known that that's where the movie was leading up because everything is building up to the bomb of them making it. And, you know, in the beginning you see atoms for like three or four frames or probably more than that, but it's just for, for a flash. And you see the electrons circling it and you're like, okay, we're, we're going to see this bomb. And then there's like an hour afterward, the bomb. And honestly, that's the most interesting part of the movie when it's all the McCarthy, Red Scare, the courtroom drama stuff. I loved seeing that.
1: Like it frames it at the beginning that like Matt Damon is the antagonist. It was, so, it was so good, because the whole time you're like, oh, this guy. This guy's back again. What is his name? Leslie Groves. And he's like, oh, he's such a hard-ass. But, like, and, and at first you think that uh, because they frame it this way, too, with the trial, that he is on trial for mm-hmm. being a spy. Uh, like, being a Russian spy. And, you know, Matt Damon's uh, extreme measures, like, kind of makes sense in that context but then you're like oh no that's not what this really is
0: them thinking that he's a communist and like all that he does is attend some rallies just out of curiosity just to see like oh maybe this is a good system for our government as every you know it The way that America was set up was you want to be able to strive for greatness, whatever that may mean. If that means communism, fucking okay. If it works, then great. And that's all that Oppenheimer was doing. And because he attended that rally and he met with Florence Pugh a few times, he's just suddenly a communist. And I love how this just picked apart Mm -hmm. in the courtrooms. And it was dreadful to watch, but it was interesting.
1: I I don't know about you, but I have studied the McCarthy era a lot um, because oh yeah, I studied political science.
0: Big much, fan of the crucible. And
1: Oh yeah, no, exactly. I was just going to say yes! that you stole of what I was going to say. Um, I was going to say, but I also <laughs> studied theater. And one of the biggest pieces of theater that came out of the McCarthyism era was the crucible by Arthur Miller. And it is, it is just a perfect representation of the kind of temperament that was happening uh, in that time uh representing the files right right um but, but when you study it more like you you learn more things but they're all they all really come back to that main thing is that everyone was so oh, what's the fucking word <laughs> suspicious uh suspicious and paranoid that everyone was a communist and that if you and the conclusion was if you were a communist then you were spying for the russians right um because they were in the Cold War and this movie I think rather than being a movie about World War two was definitely more a movie about the Red Scare and the yes. McCarthy era. because it was just such a crazy fucking time uh, I mean not that all of these times aren't crazy <laughs> it's crazy now it was crazy then but no one could be trusted yeah. right And even the
0: government only trusting themselves and not even that because, like, you thought that there were spies and moles everywhere. Mm -hmm. But and I'm paraphrasing the line, but Oppenheimer is talking to Matt Damon and Oppenheimer is just like, they're not our enemy. We need to share info with them. And then Matt Damon is just like, they're not our ally either. It's like that. That is exactly why everything led to the Red Scare exactly. and this suspicion and, and no trust anywhere.
1: And the Cold War. The Cold War wouldn't have happened if you shared information like that. Like that's. The, but um, what's it called uh, Christopher Nolan's next movie. I want him to do the Lavender Scare, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I don't know if you know what that is. But the Lavender Scare was um, you know. At the same time as the Red Scare, and it's basically it's basically very similar to the Red Scare, but it was um, it was like queer people, and it was uh, were being everyone was being fired from their jobs, and it was basically like
0: mm-hmm. if you're
1: if you're queer, then you are uh, lying to everyone, and if you're lying to everyone, then you're untrustworthy, and if you're untrustworthy, then you're spying for the communists, and yep. that was the that was the uh, ridiculous domino uh, effect of thinking that led to the Lavender Scare. And I'm really passionate about that because I wrote a 10-page paper about it in college.
0: That's definitely something that needs to be covered more in pop culture because, like, I yeah. know about it, but I don't know any of the details or specifics.
1: Yeah, but it's, like, it's similar with the Red Scare. Like, if you say the Red Scare to just a random person on the street, they're, like, 50% chance they know what it is. Yep. And that's not good because... Everyone needs to know how paranoid and uh, infighty our government can become and how that can translate to the people because the Red scare didn't just affect government. It affected fucking everyone, not just queer people. Everyone was being fired from their jobs. If you're Russian, you're fired from your job. Just like anything other than quote-unquote trustworthy. That if you're not American,
0: suck, get out.
1: Yeah, sucks for you.
0: And that is probably a very good thing to state, you know, in a movie that we should be trusting our allies, because that stuff is still going on. Mm -hmm. We need to cooperate on a world political theater, Mm -hmm. or else stuff like this will keep on happening.
1: Yeah, I think it's crazy that we've been talking about politics for some time. (laughs) (laughs) But this movie, that's what it is. Like, you can't talk about Oppenheimer and not talk about history and politics and the world
0: because mm, that's exactly what nolan wanted people to walk out and think about you know mm-hmm. history and the world and you know that ending scene which gave me full body chills where it was foreshadowed in the beginning where you saw in black and white their introduction you were too far away to hear but then uh, the movie that, is, that, ends. Is, that is that is that is that yes and the river yeah And it's, uh, again, I'm paraphrasing, but they're talking about how they thought they might set fire to the atmosphere. And Oppenheimer's like, I think we did. I think we did set fire to the world. And the movie ends. And he's fucking right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because no matter what we did, bomb-wise, we set fire to our imagination. And now it is possible to destroy the world Mm -hmm. because of what they did.
1: Yep very very true um i'll tell you this <laughs> when i was me and my friends we snuck a bunch of candy into barbie right and we bunch stuck a bunch of treats and and shit that we were going to eat we didn't eat anything because we were so excited watching the movie we didn't even think to eat anything um so then we go to the, we had to rush straight into oppenheimer And we were like, oh, we'll eat now because we have another fucking three hours of fucking starving. (laughs) And I completely lost my appetite. (laughs) Like halfway through the movie, I was like, I am not going to eat a single thing. I feel sick. I feel like I'm going to throw up. This is a great movie and it's amazing to watch and it's beautiful, amazing filmmaking, but I want to throw up. And I left the theater feeling like that.
0: That is exactly what it was. Barbie is humanity. And then Oppenheimer is humanity. Exactly. It's such an incredible movie. And I think Barbie is more so a film. Oppenheimer is an experience.
1: I agree with that. I agree with that. I think honestly everyone should go see both of these movies. 100%. You know, maybe maybe don't take your kids to see Oppenheimer, but definitely take them to see Barbie. But everyone else, you should see both of them because mm-hmm. they're not just a meme, they're not just those two houses in Santa Monica which are fucking hilarious, but they are both quintessentially human and important
0: we we joke with this you know the meme of barbenheimer but it's real i walked out a changed man like it was nothing short of a religious experience
1: (laughs) i was sitting there in oppenheimer and i turned to my the my friend next to me and i said it's crazy how similar the themes are in these two (laughs) (laughs) movies like i was not expecting this at all
0: two different sides of the coin
1: Exactly, exactly. One is pink and pop bubblegum, and the other one is Death Destroyer of Worlds.
0: And they're both cinema.
1: Mm-hmm. It's also crazy that uh, nobody planned for these to come out at the same time. No. Nobody planned for any of this. And it just, it's such a strange cultural phenomenon that came out of nothing and then happened to have evidence behind it. It happens to be supported by the films themselves, which is fucking crazy.
0: And social media took that and ran, and I'm so glad that fucking they did. Ran.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Go watch Oppenheimer. Go have your bowels exploded by that bomb.
1: <laughs> Why do you keep saying bowels?
0: <laughs> because it shook them. <laughs> Jesus. Every time when you saw the light of the explosion, and then you saw, and then you felt the sound, like obviously light travels faster, so that that's just scientific. But it blew me away. It had my jaw on the floor every single time, and
1: your bowels on the floor, apparently.
0: <laughs> well, the contents of my bowels on the yeah. floor. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. So you shit. So I was I was throwing up. You were shitting. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's what this movie did to us. It was almost like. Never mind. No,
0: (laughs) family friendly.
1: Family friendly. Yeah, Barbenheimer, 2023. Did you survive it? We did.
0: And with that, this has been a podcast of Worlds Destroyer of Death.